hearts that are yearning come to the Lord come and be blessed for in his presence his joy overflows hope for the heart strength for the soul come worship the Lord feast at his table taste of his goodness come
Good morning and amen. Let's come worship the Lord. Uh, While well, I'm making a couple of announcements real quick, you can be turning in the church Bibles there to page 1380, 1380-1380, be in Hebrews 10 this morning. <clears throat> First of all, uh, Lupe called and says Stephen rolled his ankle pretty bad last night, and they're at the ER this morning because his ankle's hurting so bad, so we need to remember Stephen Haynes uh, and what's going on with his ankle, give the doctors wisdom and all. And April is having really bad foot pain. And so we will, not knowing what that is, we're going to pray the Lord will help the doctors figure that out, help her figure that out, because uh, that's when we need him, when we don't know. We're going to be in uh, <clears throat> Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 14. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool for by one offering for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified amen and we are talking about that man is Jesus obviously so bless him let's pray this morning father we just come before you and we give you all praise and honor and lord we just stand amazed at your your holiness um lord how you're still in control you're still on your throne and lord jesus we bless you for the amazing gift of of the blood that was shed for us on that cross, Lord Jesus, and the fact that you are there with the Father, interceding for us, Lord. We bless you for that. Lord, help us never forget that. We do pray for for Stephen. Lord, we pray for wisdom for those attending him, that's nothing serious, and that he'll be better soon. And uh, you'll just give them all wisdom. But above all, we pray that even you would raise your name up, Lord Jesus, in the way that you would help him. If he cries out to you, Lord, and asks you to help him, Lord, I pray he would see that and you would ease the pain. And I pray the same for April. Uh, Lord, when, when we don't know and when we don't have answers, Lord, that is when we come to your feet. And, Lord, I pray she's able to come to you and to seek you with all she has to, Lord, find out why her feet are in pain today. So we pray, Lord, that you would bless her you would speak to both of them. Lord, above all, Lord, you would get all the glory uh, for everything that happens in any of our lives, Lord Jesus, because we want to live for you and raise you up in our everyday life. Pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would reign here today, that there would be no other, that all other would bow to your mighty name, Jesus, and that we would be able to hear clearly your word that you have sent to us today through your messenger. Thank you for this time together that we can come and give you thanks give you praise through our song and I pray God your spirit be with us today and all these things we pray in the holy name of Jesus amen
The calms the stormy seas is calling me by name. I'm singing in the victory, the victory of the cross, and resting in the shadow of your redeeming love. I'm standing on the cross, the promise of new life. I am yours forever, and Jesus, you are mine. What oh, Jesus, you are mine. When I have forgotten. of your grace Yes, I remember Calvary The way you took my place I'm singing the victory The victory of the cross Resting in the shadow Stay. 
There we go. Good morning. <laughs> so as I was saying, I loved the songs this morning that the Lord brought for us to worship and to, and, but the last song, I love that, King of Glory, and um, I love the end where it just says, we, we worship you, and um, I love that God taught us about understanding this place of worship, that it means to bow down. It doesn't mean to come and sing, and it doesn't mean uh, the message, even though all of those things are a part of causing our hearts to bow before him. But the true understanding of worship means to bow down. And I love at the end of that song, it has a scripture that the Lord gave us for this church um, when he began this church many years ago. And it says, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us. It's not about us. But to your name give glory because of your mercy and because of your truth. And so I love that place that today that all glory he would receive all glory because of his mercy and because of his truth. So we're going to continue this morning uh, studying about Passover. Last week we began to study a little bit about Passover. We've been in the book of John, and we've taken just a, a, few, day, a few weeks away from that as we study about Passover. And by the way, if you are attending Passover, it will be not this coming Friday night, but the next Friday night, which will be April 15th at 6 o'clock. And as you remember, we will have a meal. And so if you could be sure and sign up on one of the places in the back for us today, we need to know if you're going to be attending so we can get everybody uh, seating arranged and the meals ordered. So we... Um, look forward to this time of celebration in Passover. Last week we began our study of Passover and we started with the very first Passover out of Exodus 12. So if you weren't here, you might want to go back and listen to that to help you to understand the fullness of what we're going to even talk about today. This place is Jesus being the Lamb. And um, so I, I was asking the Lord for a title early on in this uh, week, and he gave me a title, and it, it, the title is, As Christians, Should We Celebrate Passover? So the, the, a lot of times people are confused a little bit. They feel like that's a Jewish holiday. And I want to share with you just a couple of places before we get into the meat of this message. But if you'll turn with me, let's start in Leviticus 23 on page 139 in the church Bibles. Because very early on in my walk with the Lord, he began to talk to me and he said, you may come to my feast. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And so he, draw, he drew me back to Leviticus 23 and he began to show me the understanding of his feast. Starting in verse 1 on, on uh, chapter 23, and it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feast. These are my feast. All my life I thought that the feast in Leviticus were the Jewish feast. And so they were for them, 
and we did Easter. Anybody else grow up thinking that? Yeah, yeah, most of us did. They did Passover, and we did Easter, and we didn't really understand much about Passover. But over the years, the Lord has opened my understanding that this place is a powerful place and truly the very foundation of our Christian walk. And that's why it's so important that we see in Leviticus that the Lord is saying, these are my feasts. He doesn't say these are the Jewish feasts. He said, these feasts are the feasts of the Lord. These are my feasts. And then he comes on and we'll see over starting in verse 4. It says, these are the feast of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed time. As we've talked about this place, that these feasts are to be a holy convocation. What does that mean? An assembly, a time to come and worship. But it goes on to say, they shall proclaim the appointed times. And you remember we've talked about this many times, this word moedim. Moedim means appointed time. God set these up in Genesis when he when he's, um, created the foundations of the earth and the heavenly realm. And when he put the stars in the sky and the sun and the moon in the sky, he put them there to, uh, for seasons, for the times of seasons. That word means moedim. He put the stars in the sky, the moon in the sky, and the sun in the sky to help us to know the seasons of his appointed times. That is so important. Then it comes in and it says, and on the 15th, I'm sorry, on the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. The Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And seven days you must eat unleavened bread. So next week we'll have some teaching on unleavened bread. But this week we're going to talk about the Lord's Passover. Do you see where it says that in verse 5? It doesn't say the Jewish Passover. It says the Lord's Passover. All right. Now, turn back with me to John 129. And that's going to be on page 1221. We studied about this several weeks ago as we began in the Gospel of John. But this is talking about where we're going to look is going to be on verse 29 of chapter 1. This is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, as we know, was the forerunner of Jesus. He came to proclaim who Jesus was. And so as we come and find John, he's out in the wilderness, and he's baptizing people. And then in verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb. This is what John is talking about. That's what we talked about last week. It's why John would come and proclaim this place over Jesus is because he is the Lamb. He is the Passover Lamb. 
Then turn with me to 1 Corinthians 5. It's on page 1314. Page 1314, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he is talking to the church in Corinth, and um, he's talking about some of their sin, is what he's talking about, is that they've let sin run rampant in their church, and he's talking to them about that. And, And that's important to know, but what I want you to know also is that this church in Corinth is a Gentile church. It's a Gentile church. You know, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. So that's very important as we come to see what Paul is writing here. And so uh, let's start in verse 6. He says, your glorying is not good. He's saying your glorying is not good because you've allowed sin to reign in your church. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He's saying it's a little bit of sin in your congregation and it causes that to cause leaven, sin, in your whole congregation. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So Paul, teaching the Gentiles how to come and worship and honor Jesus, says right here that Christ is our Passover lamb. He doesn't say it's Christ their Passover. He says in in verse 7, you'll see right there, he says, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. He's teaching Gentile Christians just like us. Most of us are not Jewish, but we were Gentiles that have been brought into the understanding of who Jesus is. That's where Paul is teaching to the First Corinthian church, or the, to the Corinthian church in First Corinthians. Here, you are Gentiles, but here's the thing: He's your Passover, and He's been sacrificed for you. And then he goes on to say, in case that's uh, not clear enough, it says, therefore, let us keep the feast. Keep the feast. He's, uh, He's drawing these people into understanding that you are supposed to be a part of this place of honoring Jesus in this place of Passover. And he, and he tells them how to do with sincerity and truth. This word sincerity, I love this understanding, is really a place of purity. Of purity. He's saying you need to come to the Passover and honor Jesus in this way and keep this feast in the purity and truth of who he is. 
Don't let it get defiled by your sinful nature or the ways of the world. Turn with me again to uh, 1 Peter. It's on page 1391. Page 1391, 1 Peter. Let's start in verse 16. One of my favorite verses. Peter is writing and he says, Because it is written, Be holy, I am holy. So this place of purity, Peter is again bringing this understanding here and he's saying, you are called to be holy because the Lord is holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. He's saying you should be as you conduct yourself in this, in this time here on earth, you should be in reverent fear of who God is. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your Father, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And it goes on, he says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. So before the foundation of the world, God had set in motion this plan that Jesus would be our Passover lamb. A great place to understand and a beginning place to understand Passover is for us, those who are followers of Jesus, those who, who honor and glory in the great name of our Lord. Today's message is going to come from chapter 19 out of John. So if you'll turn with me there to page 1247. And I want you to put your marker here. And then we're going to take a quick turn back to Matthew 26. So put your marker in John and then turn to page 1145. Matthew 26. So last week we taught a little bit on the understanding of where Jesus was brought into Jerusalem on the 10th day, just as the lamb was brought into the home on the 10th day. Then Jesus was brought into Jerusalem on the 10th day. And the days have been working down a little bit as we've taught from that last week. And if you'll look in... Uh, 
chapter 26, verse 2, right here, it says, You know that after two days is the Passover. The Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, You know that after two days is the Passover. You know, he came into Jerusalem on the 10th day, but it was six days before Passover. So he's been in Jerusalem, he's counting down the days for us, and he's making it, John is, I mean, Matthew's making it very clear here what day we're on, two days before the Passover. And Jesus is helping the disciples put all of these pieces together in his, um, in his understanding of what is about to happen, in their understanding of what is about to happen. And then I want you to look over to verse um, 17. It says, Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? So it's important to understand, I think we have talked about this in the past, but throughout the gospel you see the understanding of Passover, unleavened bread being used interchangeably. So when it says unleavened bread the first day, it's really talking about the place of Passover. Why would that be? It's because unleavened bread starts at the very time that Passover, the event, is happening. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we uh, celebrate Passover. But you just want to remember, when he's talking about the first day of unleavened bread, he's also talking about the Passover that's happening. It happens right there. Passover's not a day. It's an event. It's a meal where we come together. And so the disciples are saying to Jesus, where do you want us to eat the Passover? But Jesus just said it's two days before the Passover, right? So isn't that interesting? And then he comes in verse 18 and he says, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand and I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When the evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say, Lord, is it I? And verse 23 says, And he answered and he said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, You have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sin. 
But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Okay, so going back to verse 17, the disciples says, you know, Lord, when are we going to have Passover? They're trying to think how this is going to be. It's coming up in a couple of days, and where is this going to be? And Jesus says for them to go on into the city, go into the city, and to find, it says, a certain man. Now, if you'll turn over to Mark 14, let me see, page 1171. Um, this is the same story, but written by Mark, and he tells us a little more interesting understanding on verse 13 at the end of that page, on page 1171, chapter 14, verse 13, it says, And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, a man will meet you there carrying a pitcher of water, follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? So Mark tells us that not only are you going to go in and find a certain man, but you're going to find a man who's carrying a pitcher of water. And why this is important is because it helps us to understand that this family, this man, not family, this man is a, uh, a scene. And the way we know that is that the men would not be carrying water. The women would carry water unless they were an Essene. And the Essenes were very devoted to God's word and the studying of God's word and to worship. And they would never marry because they were so devoted. And so they had to carry their own water. So Jesus says, you go in and you find this man that's carrying his own water, and you ask him where we can keep the Passover, knowing that the Essenes always keep the Passover at a different time than what the Pharisees did. They had used their calendar, and they figured up a different day than what the Pharisees actually would use to hold their Passover. In this year, and never before this year, and never since this year, the Essenes Passover fell one day prior to the Pharisees Passover. Because it's so important that we see that, that Jesus was the Passover lamb. He died on the day of Passover, as we talked about last week. But he also celebrated Passover with his disciples the, the night before. So Jesus comes, and he is celebrating, with his, he's celebrating Passover with his disciples before he is um, brought to to be crucified. Now, one of the things I want to point out again is on page um, Matthew 26, we're back there, 
on page 1145. And Jesus is having Passover with his disciples. And he says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and says, take, eat, this is my body. All of my life, I understood, we read these descriptions of taking what was called the Lord's Supper, and I don't think that's a wrong place to call that. In fact, Paul even calls it the Lord's Supper. But I understood the Lord's Supper to be a new covenant understanding, a New Testament understanding. This is something that I thought the church had created because of the death of Jesus. But that's not truth. This is an Old Testament understanding that dates back 1,500 years before Jesus to the very first Passover as we talked about where they came and ate all of the lamb. And they painted the blood over the door. That's where the institution of the Lord's Supper comes from, Passover. But I want to share with you something that the Lord just opened up to me as I was coming to church this morning, just a few minutes before I walked out. He began to open my eyes to some things that I want to share with you, and I want you to remember these two places. This place where he picked up the bread, and he says, this is my body. Take and eat it. And then he picks up the, the cup and he says, you know, drink from it, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Now, I know the, I know the disciples, they understood a little bit about what Jesus was saying in the Passover, but not the fullness because they'd been doing Passover for 1,500 years, but nobody had connected that Jesus' body was truly the Passover lamb yet. This is all coming into their understanding as they're walking with Jesus, and he's teaching them. Now I want you to turn with me back to John 19. It's on page 1247. So Jesus says, this is my body. Take and eat. Now we're going to start in uh, chapter 19, verse 1. It says, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. So as you remember, picking up right here, Jesus was in the garden, and he was praying, and the soldiers came, and they said, he says, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, I am. 
And your Bibles may say, I am he, over in chapter 18, verse 8, says, I am he. That is not, that is not a good translation. It doesn't say, I am he. It says, I am. Because he was stating very clearly something that they would remember, the I am is, is the Lord, is God. And he is saying, I am God. And the um, soldiers all fell down, one of my favorite places in the Bible. So about 600 soldiers have come to capture him, and they all fall down when Jesus says, I am, because it's such a powerful statement. And um, as they get up, then they get their swords and everything and take him in. And then he comes before Pilate, and Pilate, as you know, really doesn't find any fault in him. But the Jewish leaders and the, and the Jewish people have uh, want him crucified because of this very thing, because he has said he is, he is God. And so for this blasphemy, they want him crucified. And he is disrupting their teachings and their understandings, and they want him done away with. So they take him to Pilate, and Pilate has him scourged because he's thinking, Pilate is thinking, well, listen, I don't really want to crucify this guy. I don't find any fault in him. So maybe if we just beat him really badly, they'll settle for this, which they don't. But I think that is the beginning of where uh, Pilate comes and begins to have this place of scourging and of, of beating him. And one of the things this morning when I was getting dressed and, and just about to leave, just about to leave, and the Lord just began to open this up to me, and he says, you know, this place of scourging, we don't really understand sometimes the fullness of what that really was and how, um, what a difficult beating. In fact, most, most people oftentimes did not even survive this place of such a harsh beating. And uh, it tells us in Mark, Mark 19, uh, we can even look at that if y'all like. Let me grab you a, a scripture, I mean a page number here. Mark 15, 19. I always like for everybody to see things. Yes, it's on page 1174. Because it says that they also struck him on the head with reed, and they spat on him, and bowing the knees, they worshipped him. So they are mocking him. And then it says, and when they had mocked him, they took the purple off of him and put his own clothes on him and then led him out to be crucified. And so we see that he's being beaten, he's being mocked, uh, he's being spat upon, uh, he's being completely humiliated in this place before the crucifixion. 
And the Lord was drawing me into this place. And then he said, and you see in this place of complete bloodiness of his body. His body is just completely, uh, they called it flogging. And, and it's just tearing apart from where they were beating him with um, this cat of, of nine tails. And it would actually go up and, and pull the skin away from the body. And the Lord was reminding me of all this. And he even reminded me of Isaiah 52. So turn there on page 847. So about 700 years before this happens, Isaiah is writing about it. And in verse 14, you see it says, Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage, that, that's the shape of his face, was marred more than any man, and his form more than, been more than the sons of men. His body was totally disfigured. And so, as God was bringing all of this to my mind, just shortly before I left, he said, do you see, this is the way I see sin on man. Totally marred from what I created. His body had to be completely horrible to look at because God was showing us a picture of how we look to him. Turn with me to um, Genesis 3. I believe it's on maybe page 4. 3 or 4. Genesis 3. It's on page 4. I want to show you something else. This is after Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit and, and sinned, and uh, God is coming and, and speaking to Adam in verse 17, he says, Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. But thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And God was just showing me these thorns that were placed on his head. The ground was cursed to bring forth only thorns. Jesus had to endure the thorns. They're a picture of sin. And I'd never seen it until this morning. But when they took the crown of thorns... It's symbolic that goes back to Genesis. When God was placing 
he used man to place the thorns on Jesus, but God is placing the sinful nature of Jesus, of mankind on Jesus in the thorns on his head. We talk about that at this time that Jesus took on all the sin of the world, and he did. But I'd never seen so clearly how this was, how God took these images to help us to understand some deeper truth, the deeper truth of really and truly that the crown of thorns is your sin that was placed on him. His body that was beaten beyond recognition. That's what it was saying there in Isaiah. People couldn't, it was so disfigured, they couldn't even recognize it as really being human. Because of my sin. That's what Jesus was talking to the disciples about. When he picked up the bread, he was relating this place back over here and says, to the lamb. He is. But he's also helping us understand that when you pick up this bread to eat of this, you need to recognize what this body represents. And he says, this is my body. This is my body that was given for you. And he says, take it and eat of it. Because his body that was ripped apart because of each one of our sins, that's what he gave. That's his body. Turn with me back to chapter 19. I pray that you'll read chapter 19 this week and 19 and 20. And, um, well, particularly 18 and 19, really. And then 20 will be the next week. But... Um, as we see that Jesus is led out and, and put on the cross, and he was nailed to the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning, as we talked about last week. And, and then the sun, the whole world became dark at noon, and, was, and it was dark until 3 o'clock. And if you remember... At three o'clock, he breathed his last, and that's when the lamb was being crucified. But I want to start in verse 31. And it says, Therefore, because it was preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate, 
that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the others who were crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. At three o'clock, when the lambs were being slayed, when the father would cut the throat of the lamb and the lambs would die, Jesus takes his last breath. But also this place right here at this time, this soldier comes by and pierces his side and blood and water pours forth. And I saw this blood pouring out, that this is his blood. that's painted over the door of our hearts. And we talked last week, but I was so reminded of it this morning, of how God's heart is, that he delivered the children out of captivity in Egypt as he came to that place and he said, paint the door over your house. And as we... I come and see the blood of your house. He said, I will pass over it. I will lay over it so that the destroyer cannot enter in. Jesus' blood, as it pours out, and he's telling the disciples, they don't understand yet. They don't know that his body is about to be ripped to shreds when they're eating the bread. And they don't know that the wine that they're picking up to drink, that his blood is about to be shed in this way. But oh, how it must have begun to make understanding in their minds and their, and their hearts as they watch these things unfold. And that his blood was poured out. And Jesus lifted up and said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Drink all of it. Paul says, as often as you do this, in remembrance. I saw it in such a deeper way this morning. I saw his body. And I saw his blood. And I saw him laying over me that the death angel, the destroyer, would have no authority. (laughs) 
I want to leave you with one last scripture. It's in 1 Corinthians 11. It's on page 13, 20. Let's look at the page of four on page 1319 and starting in verse 20. It says, therefore, when you come together in one place, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another, and another is drunk. What? Do you not have your own houses to eat and drink in? Are you, do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? What shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So he's really coming against the church and how that they are coming to take the Lord's Supper in such an unworthy manner. And he says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do. As often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. I've taught this many times, but even this morning I saw it so strongly that we cannot come and take the Lord's Supper when we have willful, willful sin in our lives, when we are in such an unworthy place. And so Paul goes on in verse 28 and he says, But let a man examine himself, so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Paul is saying to the church in Corinth that you come and you take of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. It brings sickness into your body and weakness unhealthiness but it even goes so far as to say and many sleep many die it's a strong word that when we come to the Lord's table we have to have had an opportunity to examine our hearts that we would be
aware of any place that is not of Jesus, any place of sin that God has been bringing us to, that we would not come to his table in such an unworthy manner. This is why we don't pass communion. We put communion on the tables in the back that you would have an opportunity to seek the Lord before you would go to the table. And you would work out with him any place that is not of him. But I also want to ask you, between now and Passover, that you would begin this place of examination of your heart. We want everyone to come and to join in with absolutely a place that I believe is an honor of Christians to celebrate. And I believe that has been stolen from us. But I also believe that to be able to come and truly participate in the Lord's Passover, we must examine our hearts. Please stand with me and sing. If there's any place in your hearts today that the Lord has been quickening you to come and to get right with him, if you would like for our elders to stand and pray with you, um, we will be in the back and we would be honored to, to walk with you through these places.
Is the bomb.